Um, so there's two sensing points, mm -hmm. like two detectors, uh, and then there's an array of LEDs here. So these are like emitting uh, LEDs um, that are then the reflection from the LEDs is being picked up by the two detectors. with uh, John from Blueberry. John, thank you for joining us today. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me. Really yeah. <laughs> um, John, man, you work on some cool stuff. Like already, uh, you already have your overlay of your product, um, uh, like, you know, live streaming to us right now. So yeah. Blueberry, yeah. You, guys, you guys use, um, I believe it's near, uh, functional near, um, near in, um, infrared spectroscopy sensing uh, sensors. Yeah to kind of yeah. detect the blood oxygenization in the brain and to give functional yeah. data back in real time. And what you've That's done right exactly now is yeah. uh, you have, you're, you're streaming live from your brain <laughs> through the sensor yeah, of exactly. what's going on in your head. Um, this is yeah. some cool stuff, man. Um, I'd love to dive deeper into this. Um, in your own words, what is Blueberry and what is your goal? Yeah. Uh, so a uh, bit of a background on myself and Blueberry. Uh, uh, this kind of journey started out in trying to find or solve my own problem of kind of inattentiveness or lack of focus or increasing bouts of stress as an entrepreneur. And mm -hmm. I've been searching or experimenting on myself for the better part of a decade now with different methodologies, you know, simplest things as like periodic walks throughout the day. Mm -hmm. um, however, I've never really found the right combination of things or um, remedies or regimes that really work or give uh, a better understanding or a calmer state of mind or a more present state of mind. Um, and in that journey to try and find a solution or some sort of thing that could make a dent on my mental state, I thought uh, kind of tracking or continuous tracking to what is happening in the mind would be a great first step. Um, and to try and find the right type of technology to accomplish that kind of need or goal. Uh, came across FNIRS, and then we've been, as a business, kind of experimenting on what is the right uh, combination of that type of tracking uh, with some form of feedback uh, for the better part of two years now. So, mm -hmm. yeah, we're just starting to kind of get to market or go to market now, so it's a pretty exciting time. We've got something That's that amazing. Kind of, works, <laughs> kind of works consistently, or uh, we call it uh, inconsistently consistent. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> No, um, so I love that kind of mission state, right? Um, using uh, functional sensor, uh, sensory devices to um, pull real-time information out of us so we can better understand um, what's going on internally. Uh, I think so much of our thought is thinking about us as complete entities. We're like, we're all one thing, state, state of being, and we are what we are at one time, uh, you know, a static. And what it is, is like, you know, like especially being, um, you know, being a human, there's multi-levels of processes that are running underneath simultaneously. And sometimes those don't run as they should be, right? Like, for example, one of the things we talked about on our podcast was, you know, when you're in a modern-day office space and, like, your boss comes in and, like, slams like a, some work at you and yells at you, you know, your body internally reacts as if, like, a lion is, like, staring down at you and you're about, about to die, right? Like, you have the same kind of stress response, the fear, and, um, what's it, fight-or-flight response to running, stress levels go up. And it's like we've been attuned to a different environment and different different levels of st stimuli kind of trigger like a very uh, primal response out of us. Yeah. And those responses can sometimes be out of tune, out of flux. So people with anxiety disorders, people with like mood disorders, 
you know, all, all these kind of mental states can, that can, can happen when um, our, our functions aren't properly aligned or running together. And one of the one of the coolest things is being able to understand what's happening to us internally, right? Um, yeah. I, I believe I was going through um, uh, Dr. Steve Mann's uh, uh, research, and he talks yeah. about this being like infield and enfield, uh, sorry, in, environment, environment and environment uh, um, thinking, right? Yeah. So what's going around us to what's going on internally yeah. inside of us, yeah. and um, exactly. so. Yeah, I'd love to, love to hear, like, you know, dive a little bit more deeper into this, right? So you, you started this, you went down this path of your personal need to understand yourself and to sense what's going on internally. Can you, can you dive a little more, a bit deeper into that? Like, what was that journey like? Has it been a lifelong journey or came out recently? I, uh, most of the, or like the better part of those last decade has been kind of trying to figure out in different ways what is happening with myself as a like individual um in my last uh, venture that was uh, focused on motion sensing so like accelerometry data like what is just like body movement mean mm-hmm. um and how can that uh, understanding that affect positive behavior um and this one is kind of the next step is what's happening with our mind how does that uh kind of affect us and perhaps that's a better representation or a complementary representation of, you know, our physiological state and our mental state are sometimes aligned and sometimes very not aligned. Like, mm-hmm. uh, like one of, uh, uh, have you ever felt that feeling where you're just like, you're brain dead for the day, but you can still go to the gym. You can still go for a run. You can still play a sport and you can still probably perform in that sport. But if you were asked to like sit in front of a spreadsheet or take a phone call and talk to someone for an hour, you're like, no way. Yeah. Can't yeah, do that. yeah, yeah. Um, but trying to figure out when is that tipping point for people is I think a really important thing because for each of us, we probably only have so much mental fuel or mental uh, kind of capacity each day. And depending on our environment or what we ate, how we slept, uh, what's going on in our relationships, what's going on with our family, what's mm-hmm. going on just even like outside that can like completely disorient us. Like if for some reason someone walked by right now and started screaming and shouting, I'd be like, what is happening? And mm-hmm. I'd probably become more disoriented or whatever it might be. Um, so interesting journey. And Steve's work for the past like I think the effectively the entirety of his life, um, most of the stuff on the environment and environment probably in the last two decades, but two yeah. decades is a long time to do research in this space, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, was, I was looking into that, like um, Steve was talking about his childhood where, you know, <laughs> when he was yeah. a kid, his, bought, his dad bought him a oscilloscope and he was playing with it and as he's moving it around, realized like it was picking up like police radio frequencies and he's like holy shit there's like a whole world happening that we cannot sense like how do you yeah. sense these li- these these light patterns and how do you sense these things like how do you compound human capabilities and uh, it, it's fascinating that he was thinking about since he was a kid and I, and I followed a few other people who have these kind of modalities right thinking about this right there's so many things happening like I think uh, I ever watched uh, the show Battlestar Galactica yep <laughs> yeah yeah so Battlestar, there was a scene. Um, I, I think which was the, which was the android the number one or whichever the Cabal, uh, Cal. He was talking about you know okay. like he was he's talking about the character was talking about you know this is a 
a, a machine, but printed as a human, right? Meant to be a gelatinous being, right? To experience yeah. human emotions, experience and experiences a human. And he hated it. He's like, why do I need to sleep? Why do I need to eat? Why do I have to be limited by being human, right? As a machine, I could like, you know, I would, I would, I could feel solar rays. I could see gamma light. I could hear, you know, like uh, the, the, the microwave radiation of the universe, right? I can experience so much more, but now I've been contained. I've been shrunken down in my experiences about being a human. And one of the interesting things about these kind of sensory kind of capabilities is that that extra sensory capability, right? How do you build upon what nature's already given us and being able to uh, be an acute more, right? Yeah. Like, what is the what does the journey for you look like? Is it to understand the in self, um, understand what's going on internally better, or is it more about uh, like the the, uh, the as Steve put it like the like the environment, like understanding more about what's unseen about or going around us? Which side, what what inter- like entertains you better? Like what uh, interests you more? For myself or in my journey so far, I think I've gone through periods of uh, each. So like some periods where I'm trying to be more aware or better understand what's happening around me. And then other times where I'm super introspective or super deep in myself and I'm only trying to self-reflect or self-figure out things. Yeah. I guess the thing is sometimes when you go so deep in one category or the other, that's where you actually start to draw insight in the other. (laughs) (laughs) So you learn or you pick up something that you might never have noticed if you were actively trying to go deep or try to understand what is happening around or understand why people are doing certain things or reacting certain ways to things that you yourself do. Mm -hmm. Um, That might give actually some deep insight on yourself or what things you enjoy doing or things that you uh, frustrate you. Yeah. So let's map out some of your entrepreneurial journey. Like, you know, couple, uh, you know, you said uh, like half a decade ago, you started getting these kind of impulses, better track yourself and all that. Like, what would that journey look like? You know, how to go from like, I want to learn more about what's going on internally inside me to yeah. now launching and running a uh, uh, extra sensory company, <laughs> running Blurberry. Yeah. Blueberry. Oh, it just, uh, I think just blocks of experiment. That's mm-hmm. effectively it. Um, and try to figure out what is, uh, either like is there enough positive indicators to keep going down that experiment so like a, for instance of a failed experiment from uh, maybe 10 years ago was to try to create a create your own journey uh, movie theater experience uh, using audio sensing and heart rate okay uh, so it was uh, an attempt to do um, effectively like a a crowd would watch a movie and as the crowd reacted to the scenes in the film, there would be a different scene that is displayed to them uh, based on their collective reaction. Hmm. So it's like an adaptive entertainment uh, entertainment then, like, you know, based off of what they like, it'll it'll, it'll, it'll guide them down like a path of better understanding. You, could, right, you as a person could go see that same movie again and you would get a slightly different experience than the previous one because the likelihood that the entirety of the crowd would react the same and you would get the same sequence of scenes throughout the film is pretty small. So you could end up with, I think the- So what was that? So what did that look like? Did you go out and film a bunch of different content and like try to like set, like, you know, get a framework to show it differently? Like, what did that look like? Yeah, so that one actually never made it past uh, the, what I would call like super MVP stage. And what I mean by that, we had like, a microphone and a sensor that like tracks some like rudimentary 
physiological state and then like a folder with video files that would change based on some like rudimentary classification. Um, that was like the extent from the technology side. Um, we went, uh, the team I was working with on that, we were trying to get, uh, there's like an Ontario new media funding grant. Mm. Um, and that was like our thought process of how we were going to fund, like actually making a film and making, you know, some sort of thing for 20 people to try. Yeah. Uh, the feedback that we got were like, what on earth are you guys talking about? We want to make an, inter <laughs> we want to make an interactive web page. <laughs> That's what we want to do for like advanced uh, media. Uh, so that yeah, was a fun experience. Yeah. yeah. Did they qualify you? Like, what happened there? Like, oh no, it just uh, it didn't go through. The feedback was like, go try and find some private investors to fund ah. this uh, kind of thing. Like, go find whoever. Um, yeah. So we just, that's actually hilarious. Yeah, because yeah, uh, if it was ten years ago, like uh, you're in Toronto, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. 10 years ago in Toronto, like the innovation landscape was so different. Like there was no real support there for it nor to go to. So it makes sense you'd go for like a media standpoint because there's infrastructure there to support media and like artists, but it no infrastructure then to support entrepreneurship or even tech entrepreneurs. Like, you know, what do you do then? Right. So, well, the, uh, there was the digital media zone <laughs> um, and it was just like this free form floor at Ryerson. I remember like I spent maybe six months there with a few other entrepreneurs or tech people. It was just like, do whatever you want. Yeah. There's no rules. Yeah. It's like, yeah. oh man, good yeah. time. So the <laughs> DMZ has time. definitely changed from that. Like they're now more focused, they're like more focused streams. I went through a similar experience with uh, the hub at the University of Toronto at Scarborough. And okay. it's the same thing, you know, apparently the, the director says like the day he opened his doors, I, I was the first person to knock saying like, what is this? <laughs> because I launched three companies in university Two first two with no real support. They kind of blew up my face. And right. the third one, I'm like, I need, I need, I need someone to fucking to guide me through this. Right. And I'm like, when I heard the university has like a incubator, like, you know, for business to start, I didn't know what that meant. I'm like, let give me, give me something, give me some resource. And it just, you sign up and it's like, it's like, here you go. Here's the space that's meant just for you to go and create what you want. And if you, and, and the whole point of this is create a business around some cool thing that you're inventing and yeah. it's free form. You can switch around pivot, but they'll give you resources. And I'm like, yo, this is a, this is a playground for like, you know, someone who likes building things. Yeah. Right. What was that like, like for you? Like, were you an entrepreneur at heart always? Have you tried, uh, have you built any companies previously? Um, I, when I was young, I more just experimented. Like I remember picking stocks with my dad. <laughs> Probably the most like business oriented entrepreneurial thing during when I was a kid. Uh, gotcha. Other than that, it was like building websites and that sort of stuff. That's mm -hmm. not uh, no super aggressive. Like oh, I'm gonna go make this product when I'm like 12 and sell it. I'm gonna make <laughs> I like and whatever happens yeah. to them happens to them. If people want to use it, great. If people don't, well, I maybe used it for like a week and then never used it again. Um, I think the entrepreneurship side uh, more came at the end of high school and university. I started to take on like mm -hmm. responsibility in different areas, like first job, first paid jobs, and started to be like, man, what is going on with like these like levels of management? What is really going on here? <laughs> this doesn't make sense. There's mm -hmm. got to be a better way or like a different way.
Um, yeah. I was, uh, I was fortunate enough to have um, like a couple of mentors through uh, some of the co-op jobs that I had in uh, university. Mm-hmm. And um, that I think really shaped uh, a lot of the foundation for what I thought entre- entrepreneurship could be mm-hmm. or uh, think through like different experiments or willingness, risk propensity, that sort of stuff. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, I went to scri- I was at, at, a, at a talk once at a, at a high school and they asked me it's like why entrepreneurship why should you go into entrepreneurship right and I said like the real world is just like high school you never escape it except the people you don't like have power over you yep and just like everyone you've got yeah <laughs> Mm-hmm. And like and like entrepreneurship, really, it's about freedom, right? Trying to build your own, trying to build uh, a process and a, a culture that uh, that you can ingrain and build yourself. Yeah. But like on top of that, is working on things that you really care about and passionate about, yeah. right? So yeah. going back to this, man, like we're seeing all these like charts and things moving on the screen. Uh, yeah. Can we go through? Uh, can we go through these these metrics that you're collecting? So energy, stress, heart rate, uh, mental load. Uh, what do these metrics mean? Uh, so the two uh, top ones are kind of like a perceived state of mental energy or mental strain or stress. Um, so these are, oh, we are like, we're trying to get the model to work properly. And basically it's a machine learned model that when a person tags, like I'm in a low energy state or a high energy state or low stress or high stress state, uh, we take the sensor data and then we try to predict which of those two states uh the person is in and then give a score based on that range. Uh, so you'll see it fluctuate a lot because basically this model is reacting to one side or the other of what you're on. Um, and we're definitely not there yet in having it be like super accurate or super um, consistent. Um, the bottom two, heart rate and mental load, those are more um, like absolute units of measure. So the heart rate is just uh, picking up because this is blood flow, it's pulse or a number of kind of beats per minute that are occurring. Uh, and then the mental load is a change in oxygenation that occurs. So every five to 20 to 30 seconds, your brain will like activate or different parts of your brain activates. Uh, and then there's a different level of response or oxygenated response based on the effort or the exertion, like oxygen requirement. So you'll get like this, basically, like the waveform is like, whoop, higher, or it'll be like whoop, lower based on how much oxygen chain occurs. Um, and this mental load is just basically showing upper set relative of how much change occurred in that kind of short period of time. Now, is this all from one sensor or is it a multitude of sensors? Uh, so it is there's a little, this little pod. Um, so there's two sensing points, mm-hmm. like two detectors, uh, and then there's an array of LEDs here. So these are gotcha. like emitting uh, LEDs um, that are then the reflection from the LEDs is being picked up by the two detectors. So these are infrared LEDs. Uh, so there's infrared. two infrared. Uh, so there's two. Uh, yeah. yeah. So there's uh, the bottom two yeah. are infrared, and then there's one uh, red, or like it's on um, like the visible spectrum. Gotcha. Cool. So those those things working together, right? They capture the 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 oxygenation level in the, in the brain. Now, is that localized to one particular area in the brain? Is it like a wide scoping? Like, where does it go? Oh yeah, super localized. Like, so it's only picking up uh, like the temporal lobe region ish. And it's so hard to be exact on the autonomy of a person's brain and body, especially mm-hmm. across like 
know, hundreds, thousands of people. Mm-hmm. But this side of the brain, <laughs> maybe it's the anterior temporal temporal lobe, or maybe it's the inferior frontal gyrus, or maybe it's the cross section between the two or the temporal lobe. It's, it's the left side of the brain, roughly here, um, pretty much focused on language processing. Uh, that's most of the neuroscience research, I guess, from the literature reviews that we've done, uh, have shown that there is some level of activation uh, that occurs here in language-oriented tasks. So if you're talking to someone, writing, reading, things like this, you'll get certain levels of activation that occur. Um, so is that going for those um, with the Broca's area, um, the, the language component areas? Is that what it's targeted at? I mean, but to get exactly what region, it's a sensor that is like, we're not doing a medical grade uh, device. It's Gotcha. So there's it's just so be, for there's gonna be yeah, yeah yeah yeah. So it's not targeting any one specific region, but it's is is unidirectional to an area. So how yeah. like uh, based off of that, like um, are you extrapolating? You know, based off of that region and the and the oxidation in that in that region, you're extrapolating. Yeah. That's how uh, the rest of the brain is functioning, or that's what your levels are. Yeah. So so these like these perceived states are based, or we're extrapolating those states based on. Like mm-hmm. the, I guess, the context that the person is doing something in a language-oriented state. Like mm-hmm. could become quite uh, obscure or deviate quite quickly if you're like, oh, I'm going to put it here and I'm going to go do exercise routines, uh, but we're not monitoring the motor cortex, so we're not seeing like your physiological response to the exercise routine. Yeah, um, yeah. So, no, no, that's really cool. So, um, I, I guess, I guess, like, um, like I, I'm nerding out about this because, like, sure. one of the cool things about this, like, I haven't done too much research into measuring the the blood oxygenation in the brain. Like, I know there's a lot of research in the glucose levels. Measuring glucose levels in the brain can also, you can also track, um, you know, how how the brain is being used, and that's generally what's been done in like you know the wide scoping machines and bigger machines. But it makes sense. I mean, if you're using glucose, you're also using oxygen to process the glucose, so like it, it works hand in hand. Um, so I think it's really, it's really cool that you you know, you you found a way to miniaturize a device that can just measure, you know, without w- w- without having to come in contact with it, with like you know, without any kind of surgery or anything like that. You can measure this stuff in real time, right? Now, I mean, that that's that's quite a curve. Like I think this kind of technology is about 30, 40 years old now, and now it's miniaturized to the point where you can just wear it, on, like you know, on the side of your head. That's yep. wild. Yeah, and it, it only gets smaller. Like mm-hmm. we should be able to pretty confidently with the right capital, we'll probably be able to go another 50% smaller. So. 50% smaller. Yeah. I mean, yeah. does Moore's law come into effect here? Like, does it, you know, every two years, four years or something like does it miniaturize? It's uh, well, uh, well, interestingly enough, there will be like a plateau uh, and the plateau is effectively like this, like thickness of an eyeglass. Um, and the reason for that is, uh, the distance from the emitters to the detectors is what enables kind of that deeper tissue measurement. So you, you do have to have a certain length uh, to actually start to get reflection that is deeper tissue penetration. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so like the length will probably always remain, but maybe the width or it'll get like thinner and thinner. Um, but it's also pretty hard to say, okay, well, we're exactly sensing 
like maybe it'll become like a camera or something uh, for your brain to have like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. like an array of uh, detectors or what have you. Yep. Like imagine like uh, I'm just imagining imagine a day when it's like a sticker it's like put on your temple and just and it's just giving you this feedback data right. Um, yeah. Do you do you make manufacture the sensors? Yep, everything is actually built in Toronto. Wow. Uh, yeah, PCBs. Uh, like we source the components from outside, but uh, the actual printed circuit boards are done in Toronto, uh, and then we build them in Toronto as well. So. Um, wow. Yep. That's completely homegrown product. Okay, good for you guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, That's amazing. Kind of funny though. Yeah. <laughs> Why was that? <laughs> I mean, because you're like, it's. Uh, I mean, it does. <laughs> breed challenges if we're like try to like figure out things that you know more expensive machineries uh can automate or get right the first time and we're like mm -hmm. oh we'll just try 10 times putting this part on or whatever yeah i, I mean has, has code affected your production capabilities at all with logistics and uh, everything kind of haywire uh, so the only thing that has changed is the uh, availability of certain parts uh, from yeah. different manufacturers because they themselves are making like the actual like microcontrollers or like the different components that go on the board and there could be a production delay there uh, in Europe, in China, wherever. Um, and then the, the part distributors don't have the parts. So they're mm -hmm. like, okay, well, you got to wait like whatever, two months to get the parts. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I've talked to a lot of hardware companies that experience the exact same issue in different, different verticals. Like it's always like some kind of roadblock. So it's actually yeah. pushing a lot of companies to just build stuff like, like homegrown stuff. Like, like you said, like build it all here, find yep. local manufacturing, even cost a little bit more, at least you can get more reliable. Yep. And I think this, that's, that's one of the interesting parts. Like, you know, one of the things, the results we're seeing out of COVID is that with the pandemic is that more localized production of things. So, you know, less of a global infrastructure, more of a localized infrastructure. I think that's great for the economy of great for us. Yeah. But um, I, mean, I mean, moving forward, you said you're opening up, the, you know, commercialization for for sales, right? Like, are you in pre-sale stage now? I, I see the pre-order yep. button. Yep. Cool. Uh, we're taking pre-orders. Uh, pre However, for people that are like super interested, uh, we give them uh, or get them a test unit. Um, that they can return to us before we give them the final product. So it's more mm -hmm. like, yep, well, make sure that you're like part of the experience, tried it out instead of just being like, wait. <laughs> uh, for some people, they prefer to wait. Uh, they're like, I don't want the thing that's not certified and fully validated and tested yet. Uh, but mm -hmm. for others, uh, they're like, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> I'm great. Sign the waiver and good to go. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Cool. Uh, how many pre-orders are you trying to do? Like, do you have like a threshold? Like you're trying to do a, how many units? Um, yeah. So I think it, it really changes based on the vertical uh, that we're looking at. Um, so like in each like customer archetype uh, vertical, we're trying to do maybe five to 10 uh, in each one. Um, so like a knowledge worker would be like one example or a like um, a biohacker type persona would be another one. <laughs> um, <laughs> Because it, you can learn a lot from five or ten people uh, in the same kind of group, um, rather than try to like promise to five thousand people and never make anyone happy. Just more mm -hmm. frustrated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. no, that's uh, definitely true. Do, like, is there any medical use for this? Like, uh, does it like aid anyone yep. even any any particular issues? Yep, definitely. Um, so like the kind of the neat stuff with the. Uh, uh, blood flow is that we can start to pick up um, 
pretty detailed uh, metrics around the heart. So we are in the background validating like heart rate variability, uh, respiration rate, uh, and blood pressure estimation uh, from the same sensor. Uh, mm -hmm. So this becomes uh, um, once we get the right kind of convergence on these metrics, um, it might make sense to kind of go down the road uh, on the medical path. Uh, but right now we're just doing it in the background uh, and seeing if we're getting the right kind of uh, p-value or the, you know, like, are we actually getting a consistent measure or are we just like yeah, going off? Because it's really difficult to actually, like, yeah, it's really hard to get a really accurate reading on any one of these things. Uh, so, um, yeah. No, definitely. So it's, um, you're not focusing on, on like any one metric, you focus on a holistic kind of picture, trying to map yep. out what's kind of going on internally. Cool. Yep. Uh, what, what else do you got about capturing? I know, I know before you're scrolling through, I saw some graphs, some stuff is going on, like. Yes. Um, so like other things that we're capturing is uh, we're looking at like uh, periodic photos. Uh, so we have a few ways to like capture what's happening around you. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the ways is like using a mobile phone app. Um, so like it will take like a periodic picture and then uh, that can become like a visual representation to uh, the like experience or the data that is being collected. So you have a context as what is happening uh, based on that like moment of photo. Um, we also have like a, a wearable camera uh, that a person can wear on the glasses or uh, with like a, like a just like similarly, it's just like a little attachment uh, mm -hmm. camera. Um, and then it basically gets powered by a, um, like a power bank uh, so that it can run all day. Mm -hmm. um, but that's more for like the real experimenter because <laughs> they're <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i remember uh, snapchat um uh, for a while they had the snapchat glasses the snapchat yeah. lens which yeah. is sunglasses built-in cameras that's paired to your phone things like that um yeah. is there anything like that in your future where you're trying to like you know embed it into the actual sunglasses and sell the actual glassware or do you want to have that as an attachment you can attach it to your own glasses and your own yeah uh so like the i guess the weird thing that we've learned is um, <laughs> with glasses or with headphones is a more um, easier understood product rather than uh, you have this pod that you could attach to things. So like selling it with the glasses or with like a, uh, another experiment we've been running has been in the ear pads uh, mm. of the ear headphones. So you basically can wear it without the glasses and you just have it as part of the um, the ear pads themselves. Um, and so we'll sit uh, kind of on the temple. Mm -hmm. uh, but attaching or like having it with the existing behavior of the glasses or the headphones or a hat mm -hmm. or helmet, what have you, is really important. Um, and then if you look on the, the top right here, this is like uh, an example of the photo, the context photo um, that was captured or from my phone when we were chatting. Um, mm -hmm. and this blue orb uh, is our attempt uh, to effectively provide privacy. So we're trying to remove people or screens uh, mm -hmm. from images. So there is more, um, so the images aren't deeply available. It's like a, a masked or an obfuscated uh, image that's provided um, to make sure that, you know, you're not- Creeping on people. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yep. Try to 
that like Google Glass type problem. Mm. Um, but even there, I mean, this is using machine learning and machine learning is not perfect. Like you can see yourself in the photo, right? So <laughs> it picked up one of us, but yeah, getting it like super, super rock solid and accurate is really hard. Um, yeah. No, understandably, definitely. Cool. I mean, so this is great. Like it, it took you about two years to kind of isolate this technology, get it up to the point where you are now. You're doing pre-sales. I mean, what does that look, what, is the, what does the future look like? Like what does two or five years look like ideally for you, right? What happens okay. when like this commercial, is it become a commercial product uh, that's widely yeah. accepted, uh, adopted? Do you, uh, you feel it as a, as a niche product meant for a particular type of personality? Like you mentioned before, yeah. like where does it go? I don't know. <laughs> like in my journey in entrepreneurship, uh, if there's one thing I've learned is you just don't like just try to do your best to make something that people want and will continue to value to use, yeah. and that will adjust based on your own ability to do that. So who knows? It could be used by a hundred people, or it could be used by ten people. Who knows? I don't know. Uh, but like even managing expectations, like the penetration for the Apple watch is the tens of millions, right? So it's not like world is Apple the world's largest company now, or is it, uh, Amazon? No. Yeah. I mean, like they, they have like infinite budget to like capture the market. So yeah. Um, yeah. don't really know. No, <laughs> trying to make it more. That's a fair, that's, that's a fair answer. But uh, I guess like, like, like I, I, my question is, it's like, where did the technology, uh, not just the technology, yeah. but like the, the company kind of evolved to, right? Do you see yourself getting better at just this space? Do, or do you feel, you feel yourself giving like a suite of different um, wearables, like each do a different function, all kind of working together? You know, like I think like a few years ago when wearables became like a buzzword, people are imagining a future like you're wearing like all these different devices on your body, each of them doing a different function, like a, like a cyborg kind of functionality, right? Yeah. Do you see yourself uh, pushing to a future where, you know, you have like a suite of like of wearables or do you want to focus on just this type of uh, type of product? Well, um, I guess even if you look at yourself and myself, um, the only common piece, are you wearing a smartwatch right now? No, no, not anymore. I used to. So, so the only common piece that we are both wearing is headphones. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, it's really hard, I guess, in the wearable space, um, to try to have like a suite of different devices as like a startup mm -hmm. because it's super hard to get even one product, right? <laughs> um, so from all the indicators today, it would be a like head-worn space uh, sensing with feedback. Um, but past that, don't know. Yeah, yeah, of course. Cool. Yeah, yeah man. Like, uh, like I've been experimenting a lot with wearables because, like, I, I find this, I find that that the intrasensory kind of aspect really cool. Um, yep. mainly been, you know, stuck to different different uh, smartwatches. So I, I you know, I, I got started with like the Samsung Gear, and then that yep. was kind of cool. And then just sure. recently, uh, I was testing out um, the Whoop uh, Whoop straps. For sure. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So Whoop was really cool because the amount of data it collected and showed you in like was was yep. very different. Um, other other trackers were like you know this is a watch plus a wearable and and, and you know yep. it has these sensors on it so it's mostly just like for the function of it and then on top of that there's like all these micro apps that can do things but Whoop was like yep. no we're gonna push performance for you. 
We're going to measure your stuff yeah. and then send you like, you know, weekly um, articles and content based off of your, you know, your archetype, what you fit into. Yeah. Um, here's the information about yourself to learn more about you, the type, your type of people, your kind of issues you might kind of maintain. And it's a very predict, a preemptive at like the information share. Right. Yeah. And I really enjoy that. Um, like the main reason I stopped wearing it is because like the gyms are closed. <laughs> like, you know, like I can't really perform any function of fitness. So all it was telling me was like, you know, how lazy I am with my heart rate not moving at all. So like the, the, that negative infrastructure to, got me to like to cancel it. But like right. while I was doing that, I really enjoyed that experience, right? Because once I started getting feedback about my heart rate, my heart rate variability, you know, my stress levels, my sleep levels, I started actively yeah. improving it. Because once you have yep. visibility into your behavior and you can see patterns in it, you can, you can hold yourself accountable, right? And especially when you make it easy where like a device is just doing it for you. Like, you know, before this, I'm sure there's those crazy people out there who are like the notebook tracking the hours they slept, the, the macros that they eat, the, yep. you know, like you know, the steps that they take, <laughs> right? Like there's yep. obviously some crazy people did it manually, but like, but like, yep. The the aspect of like automating this and, and providing a device that does this, I think by shortening the curve, I think it provides that kind of functionality, right? So like, what like do you see yourself like uh, has it changed your behavior, like having this data, uh, oh, as people sure. using this have this changed their behavior and how's it how's it changed behavior? Yep. Uh, so like the two areas that we've been um, kind of focused on in behavior change has been when to like consciously break in the middle of the day. Because behaviorally, there is like a point in like our circadian rhythm where we kind of plateau uh, in the middle of the day. So actually adjusting that based on some prediction or some manual, like we look at a chart and then we make a decision based on that chart. Uh, but now we actually give a suggestion uh, to uh, people that have uh, these uh, to say, okay, at this time is your suggested like break time for the day um, to feel better. Um, the other one uh, has been uh, when to stop for the day uh, from like a working context or like a cognitive effort uh, context. So uh, sometimes that's been like, okay, uh, if you start your day at, let's say, 7 a.m., uh, that end of day might be at 2 p.m. one day and it could be at 6 p.m. another, um, completely dependent on you know, sleep, diet, all these things, uh, mm -hmm. stress, family, relationships, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, uh I was looking through um, again, Dr. Steve uh, Steve Ben's um, you know thoughts, and what I enjoy about it is like how wild thinking is, right? And and, oh, yeah. and like you know, like I love this stuff because he was talking about you know in the future like having some kind of like haptic feedback mechanism where like you can have a trigger point, you know, when your when your um, stress level goes to a certain point, you get a feedback, or like yes. when your heart rate jumps up, you get a feedback, right? And like yes. and like you know that you can you can provide like a extrasensory training mechanism for yourself. Right. Yeah. To watch your behavior and like keep you accountable to yourself. Right. Like. Totally. Yep. Mm -hmm. so, uh, uh, like our experimentation with that right now is with this little light uh, that goes in your peripheral, okay. um, and that gives a continuous feedback of uh, the amount of brain activity change that's being read by the sensor. So you can see, mm -hmm. are you exerting like a small amount, moderate, or a high amount of effort? Um, and then there's a color state that is represented there. Um, we've experimented with uh, haptics as well. It's really hard to get the right profile uh, for not being annoying. <laughs> like, it's super hard to do. Also, like people's sensitivity to touch for haptics is 
really sensitive. Like what could feel great for you could be like the most annoying thing ever for someone else. Well, is it um, is it the the amount of haptic feedback or is it uh, like the levels of feedback? Like, like say the triggers you set might not be might be annoying to somebody else, right? Yep. Would there be a function in like allowing people to program their own system, yep. like create their own systems? Like if this goes here, then do this. Yes, uh, definitely. But people are lazy too. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, it's really hard to convince people to be like, no, no, you just got to change the settings. Uh, I want to. <laughs> <laughs> Could there be any kind of learning function where it's like it's learning itself? Like, yeah, I think that's hard to do because you need like a, a like a variable, right? You need to know what you're moving the, the behavior towards. Exactly. Yeah, and something that like is always changing our mind or our body even. It's yeah. always like. Super, super variable. I think the, the company that I've tried in the haptic space that's done it the best uh, is Neosensory. Uh, there's a professor out of Stanford, uh, David Eagleman, that runs it. And their uh, product is a wristwatch with haptics uh, and a microphone array. And it's uh, right now being positioned with uh, people that are deaf uh, so they can get basically a sense of their world around them uh, from the haptics. Uh, mm -hmm. so there's, like, there's extreme value there for the individual uh, that, you know, can't hear or has dampened uh, sense of hearing. So the, like the haptics become a, like a different way to sense the world. Um, yeah, yeah that'd, be, that'd be, that's interesting. Cause like that, that could almost be like hear sound waves, you know, you hear, you hear people talking or hear something and the feedback will like translate it into like a, a, like a tactile braille, braille kind of thing, I guess, right? That's kind of yeah. cool. But um, I mean, talking about on a wellness standpoint, right? Yeah. Um, you know, this, 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 like by tracking the, the glucose amount in your brain, is there a capability to track moods at all? Um, like how people feel, or like, <laughs> or like, or like, or like large, or like large changes in that? Like you know, like when yeah. people go to a depressive state, right? Their mental state changes. Like there's a, there's a neurochemical component as, a, as, a, as well. Can you see, can you feel maybe not the daily mood swings, but like over over time, like larger, larger mood states, is it able to track? Don't know yet. Yeah. Not enough data, not enough. Uh, I guess like perfect example there is Google X recently open sourced their attempt to do this uh, for depression. Um, mm. And they did it with EEG and they did it for half a decade and they couldn't do it. So I'm going to be yeah really cautious and be like, I have no idea. Maybe we'll learn something interesting uh, after we get this on like a thousand, ten thousand people that we didn't know before. Mm -hmm. um, but until we actually have people like wearing it and have the information available, no idea. Yeah, really hard to kind of really understand those deep mental states of mind or those different states. Um, yeah, very difficult. Yeah. And I mean, that's one of the interesting things, right? Like these large technology companies are now the forefront of medical research, right? Of, of yeah. psychology research, of like, of well-being research. Uh, yeah. I think Google, Facebook, Apple combined, uh, uh, you know, the FANG companies are like yeah. the ones like, you know, really driving like the modern uh, approach to how, how people behave and, and interactivity, right? Yeah. And one exactly. of the things that, yeah, like one thing that blew my mind, it was like, um, so I have the Google Pixel 4. And one okay. of the features that it has, it has radar built into the phone now, right? So I can just swipe oh, my hand yeah. and like, it'll change music. 
And yes. I'm like, yeah. this is so unnecessary. You have like, so the, so the journey of that. So I, I was actually following this for like three years. So Google announced it like four, four or five years ago. They're like, we're yep. miniaturizing radar. So we can, you do yep. stuff with it. And yep. at that time, like the device was like this big. And they're like, look what we can do with it, right? Like you can wave your hand in front of it and it'll act activate. And like, you can do this and it can control the sound, right? By like, by, by being fine tuned. So the radar can do that. And they're like, what we're going to do is they're going to miniaturize it. And predictably every two years, like Moore's law kind of, kind of shit, like yep. they're just they're shrinking it, shrinking it, shrinking it, shrinking it. Now it sits, like the radar sits like almost like the size of a lens of the, of the, of the front camera right next to it. Tiny ass sensor, and what it can do is it sense if this is and like like you know what's going on in front of it, and it has like this near field technology where like if I reach for my phone, it'll turn on the screen to show notifications, right? Yep. It senses when movement comes towards it, and the crazy thing is is just for those features, like those very tac like very tactile sensory features, like how much money and research this large organization has thrown to, to, to do, perform this. And that's one of the miracles uh, of a free enterprise, right? And of the technology yeah. world. It's like what you can do um, with proper resources and funding. But like one of the things that always throws in mind, so um, Scott Galloway, he, he was talking about this, right? It's like okay. the top minds of our generation, like, you know, Google, Apple, uh, Facebook, uh, and Netflix, uh, you know, the fan companies, sorry, the, the yeah. big four, Microsoft, um, yeah. Big four combined, yeah. right? Hire and maintain 750,000 of the top yeah. minds in the world. Yeah. The Manhattan okay, yeah. Project, <laughs> the Manhattan Project at its peak only had 350,000 of the top scientists in the world, right? Yeah. So the top, like, you know, the top uh, uh, three quarters of a, of a million people in the world, top scientists, top thinkers, all this are yeah. being hired by these commercial enterprises to develop these technologies and uh, things that ultimately uh, is is geared towards how to sell you a better Nissan, you know, exactly how to, yep. how to how to do better ads, how to drive consumerism and user behavior, right? So it's yep. like it's it's a pros and cons of the world. It's like yeah, we have this capability to like miniaturize radar to the point where it's like a tiny little thing, you know. Uh, you you've figured out a way to get like, you know, like a functional uh, spectroscopy now from like a large machine 30 years ago. Now it's down to what thing you can wear on the side of your glasses, right? We have these, you know, that's a, that's a beauty of free enterprise. But like, yeah. I guess my, the question is like, and this is Scott Galley's question is like, when does it become okay to leave the future of, of, uh, of development in the hands of these large companies, right? And that's his argument for breaking the companies down into smaller companies. And, you know, we've seen that now with like the, the attorney's office in the U.S. looking into these companies, but it kind of boggles the mind that that is what the driving force. Commercialization at that level is what's driving force between science, technology, and medical research, right? Yeah. 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 Crazy, but it's also kind of interesting because, um, like, the recent purchase of Fitbit by Google got approved, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, like, it's it's still happening. So, it's still happening. <laughs> like the bigger just got bigger. So, mm -hmm. um, like with, uh, I guess, limitations or like managed expectations on what they can do with the information. But I mean, once the information is available, even if you're not actively making decisions on it, it's gonna, it's gonna happen. Mm -hmm. Things are gonna, things are gonna be learned, and then they're gonna be vocalized, and then that like information transfer will happen manually. 
Mm-hmm. And there's no way to really prevent that because if if you have access to like if you had access to all the Canadian bank records and you got to look through them all, even if they're anonymous, you're gonna learn things um, and then you're gonna talk about them to people mm-hmm. probably. Um, and then those things or those lessons or those insights will be shared and applied. Um, I think that's just the way the world is. I mean, it's going to happen and we could try to stop it or we could just try to make sure that it's for the betterment, not mm-hmm. for some negative thing. I like to think of the future like the jet and Jetsons. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Dystopia. When am I going to have a microwave that I could just, or like a cooking thing that I could just push a few buttons and then get whatever food I want. I want McDonald's yeah. today. I can get McDonald's if I want. Printed live you know, to your house. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. But but yeah. So. Out of that. <laughs> no, absolutely. I think I, I think it, uh, you touched on something there, like data being so important, right? Like because those who have access to it have this like crazy leverage on those who don't, right? Just yeah. like you know, back in the day, like capital was a main source of leverage so people who have capital I mean, this is the evils of capitalism it's uh, they know the socialists talked about like if you have capital you have this undue leverage on people who don't so richer than poor right the red chicken you know one person who's rich can outperform a person who doesn't because they have, they have leverage then technology now technology allows us to have you know permissionless permissioned uh, leverage right like if yeah. you can learn coding and if you learn this you, like anyone can technically launch an app launch technology and and through that have this leverage, right? So you launch a SaaS business, you know, as a cost, as a cost of the server cost, you can now, you know, get people to have, you know, buy these recurring revenue, uh, revenue bundles. And now, you know, you have a very low cost, high margin product that you can push out in the world and technology kind of changed the game. You know, that's, that's why software is eating the world, but data is really interesting because data is like compounding, right? It's like, yeah. it's permissionless leverage. It's like it can be acquired in many different stages. As long as you have the sensors and the capability to acquire it, it can be it can be picked out out of anywhere. And the more yeah. of it you have, the more patterns and, and things you can develop out of it. And and, you know, and at the end of the day, something that's really interesting with your you know your device there is because you know all this brain activity is happening either way. But because unrealized, you know, it's it's it doesn't have it doesn't have any external value, right? Other than what it what it performs out of you, what it comes out of you. But by just by capturing from these senses this thing and, and making it into digital format, and especially with a wide array of people, you can now again sense like how you know how different workloads, how where 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 things are. Like for example, uh, Google with the with the number of Android devices, like everyone looks at uh, like Google Maps, and you can see the heat maps of like where traffic is and how traffic flows, right? Yes. And you think like how's Google doing the satellites, these giant satellites in the sky beaming down? Look at it. no, it's because 70% of the world's population have Android phones, and all these phones have accelerometers. So you can detect one location GPS of these phones and the accelerometers, how they accelerate and move. And now you have an instant map from like thousands of data points, millions of data points on these devices, right? Yeah. How traffic flows and ebbs and flows, like the veins of a city, right? And you have you have this huge data set that's very uh, that's very accurate and gets better and better. You know, and one of the things that we crazy to see is like you know imagine these gets uh, widely adopted right you, you get the cost performance down you get the uh, get it widely adopted and you get like you know a few million people wearing this the data you can acquire and see like you can learn from a large data set from a people right now right like how people perform where peak performance is you know like just recently we learned the effects of light and light sensitivity like you know getting blue light versus screen time versus red light and like you know, how that affects mood behavior and, uh, and and performance, right? It's like what I'm interested yeah. in is like what can we what, what we're gonna be able to learn 
once we can figure out how things work internally inside of us and how the external stimuli work together, right? Because we're functionally machines that are fine, are like instantly trying to understand each uh, understand ourselves, you know? Yes. Yeah. Or, I mean, perhaps the higher value will be empowering the person with their own data um, and they're becoming like, that is their own compounded value that then gets attributed or passed on to a business at their choice of time. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you if you actually own the information and make use of the information yourself, that can become really powerful uh, because it's your own um, individual benefit or choice to either share information to try to find some group insight or you keep it to yourself just like any other thing because it is a good or it is a thing that you're creating yourself versus some like third party is. Absolutely. Um, so there's like. Uh, large discrepancy on who actually owns information. The person that is wearing the thing should own that information. Um, I agree completely. Um, one of the projects I'm following really with great interest is uh, uh, Tim Berners-Lee, the founder of the of the internet. Uh, he's yep. back at it with like uh, trying to revolutionize the, the modern internet. So he has a project out of CERN right now that he's commercializing. Yep. Um, yep. I, I don't know if you heard of it, the Solid Project. Um, yep. so the solid framework, which is um, a, a serverless way uh, pods that so apps or technology services can uh, decouple from the, the databases so that yep. uh, as a technology provider, you would provide technology, but the underlying data gets stored in a pod meant for the user that the user controls yep. and maintains. Right. Yep. Um, I, yep. I love the concept so much because I think it solves uh, the problem of the mobile uh, of the mobile revolution, right, which is all this this huge data instrument is now being utilized against us rather than for yeah. us. How can we flip yeah. that curve back, right? Yeah. And and the pros for that is that if people are empowered by data and they know that they have it, well, they're gonna be self-train themselves to collect more of it, which will make the data more useful for everybody who wants to get access to it, right? And by giving people power over themselves, have a power over the data that's being collected and giving them that giving the giving that leverage, I think it's a very very instrumental, right? Like. It's going to change the way people interact with technology. Exactly. And change our own perception of ourselves. Because um, if we actually have that information available to us, like, mm. that's super powerful. Like, imagine being able to search your own mind and find any memory that you want from any point in time and how you felt at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be pretty cool if I could be like, hey, when was the last time I talked with Ravi? And then it automatically shows up uh, the photo of when we talked. Uh, we talk six months from now, and then I get to see how I felt. I'd be pretty interested. Um, no, so. yeah, no. I think uh, I mean I think that's that's it. Not it's, a, it's not that it's a total recall. Uh, oh no, uh, pun on the movie, right? It's not yeah. just a total recall capability of pulling that back. But what I'm like, what I'm really interested in is the actionable data, right? So yeah. imagine if like you can have like an AI or like a, a or a bunch of AIs that can now have access to this data set of yourself, and these AIs yeah. are being tuned and programmed to better yourself, you know. Um, like, you know, and the, the purpose of like, you know, how to make yourself better, how, how your optimal performance is, um, you know, what type of knowledge you can gain, right? Like imagine a guidance system, like a guardian angel kind of program that has, yeah. that lives within your da- data, understands you better than yourself, you, you know yourself, and then just guiding you throughout life or your connections and how to, you know, your environment, right? Well, but sometimes our gut would perhaps outweigh that. <laughs> that's like an interesting thing <laughs> if you have a little voice inside you that's saying you to do one thing but then 
we just do whatever we want or we do the yeah. other thing. <laughs> that's the, uh, so would we actually listen to this little thing that's like, hey, you should, you know, not do this or you should do this. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know. Do we actually listen or do we only listen to what we want to listen, not what we need to listen to? Mm-hmm. Um, that's like a really complex thing that I have, yeah, don't have the faintest like background in neuroscience or that sort of like understanding of the psychology around like how we frame that kind of thought process. Mm. That's like understanding our wants and needs or desires. These things are really hard to get a true grasp on. Um, Yeah. Have you, have you watched uh, the social dilemma on Netflix? Yeah, it's pretty good. I think you'd enjoy it. The okay. social dilemma is uh, uh, is it, it's worked based on the work of Tristan Harris. Um, okay. He worked. He, he was previous uh, Facebook. He left on uh, ethical grounds, and he started a, a movement around uh, data and the usage of data at large corporations. So, the, the social it brings in experts from different uh, different uh, technology fields, and what it kind of covers is. You know how data is being utilized against us. How the algorithms within social networks living there, it's meant to. It, it, it's there. You know, there's three main functions. One is to get you addicted to the behavior of you know scrolling and like connecting and engaging through the app. Uh, another one is monitoring that and getting you to share your experiences to provide content for free, right, into the system. Mm-hmm. And the third one is a commercialize off that, aka how to translate your attention into into click-throughs or buys. Into purchasing behavior, and like that's like the three main mechanism of the algorithms have developed to. So it's feeding off the data that you have, and all it's doing is trying to figure out if it, if it you know how to drive user behavior towards you know fulfilling the app. And the problem with this is that you know again going back to that the commercialization problem, right? The top minds of our world working on you know how to utilize technology against us, our data, our own thoughts and ideas against us, right? Is that the data is being provided. We have now the ability to collect information, but the problem is once it goes to a, a, a you know a private enterprise a party that's you know that's really commercializing it, it works against yep. us, right? Yes. So I think there really needs to be a movement around how to decouple data from commercial enterprises and give it back to the people. Like just like you have a bank account that you own and then your employer pays into that. Like imagine the system where your your employer owns your bank account as well. You know, like exactly. that's essentially what we have right now when it comes to data, right? Yep. I think we need like a different system altogether. Um, have you, uh, like, have you guys put any thoughts into this yourselves? Like, I know you guys are, uh, you know, focus more on the machine element of it and the and the hardware elements of this too. But like moving forward, like the data, where would it live? Like, what would it, what would you do? What, what, uh, how would you maintain uh, a, a permissionless atmosphere? Yep, definitely. I mean, like the, I guess the high level. Way that we've been approaching it has been with the mantra that the person that is wearing it owns the information and then they can decide what they want to do with it at any point in time whether that's like the like simplest things are you can export the raw data if you want or you can choose to permanently delete and when i mean permanent it's like actually permanently deleted information um with like a clip click in the app or things like this um but getting it to a point where it is like a personalized database that is sitting locally on your phone or not on your phone because your phone isn't like 
phone data is going to be synchronized into like 10 different places as soon as it touches the phone. Um, that's a really hard thing to actually do. Um, mm -hmm. um, we'll probably leverage the technology as it comes to market from other companies that are better suited at building a database from scratch that works really well and is properly encrypted. And, you know, once it becomes available, yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, yeah, kudos on you for uh, thinking about that. Not a lot of companies do. Um, but, you know, more than anything else, this is probably the coolest episode we've done so far. You know, about this great dashboard. You're here literally <laughs> showing what's inside of your mind <laughs> live, yeah. which is, you know, which is mind blowing in itself. Right. Um, you know, I really enjoy this, uh, this conversation. Um, you know, um, Blueberry, um, you know, you guys, uh, whoever's watching this, you can order it online. Um, you know, kudos on launching, kudos on uh, moving forward. I'm looking really forward to this product. I'm going to probably order one of these myself because I'm really interested in, in this kind of stuff. I'm definitely going to play with it and I'll message you uh, a bunch of stuff of uh, what I find. <laughs> okay, sure. Sounds great. <laughs> Perfect. Um, as always, uh, stick around for a bit. Um, for everyone else who tuned in, thanks for sticking with us. This has been great. All right. Check these guys out.